Just a reminder that this podcast does not provide medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This content is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your qualified medical provider if you have any questions concerning a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it based upon this information or anything on this podcast. The content presented on this podcast is for informational purposes only. everyone and welcome back to tuning in from within today we are featuring Teresa score a dear dear friend of mine who will be chatting with me today about mindfulness meditation and your health and well-being Teresa score is a PhD candidate in the interdisciplinary social psychology program at the University of Nevada Reno and a University of Massachusetts Center for mindfulness qualified instructor or MBSR for short Teresa is passionate about connection, communication, and mindfulness. Her training in mindfulness includes MBSR, mindful eating, and mindful leadership. Teresa is deeply interested in sharing mindfulness practices with others in her roles as being a coach and a teacher. Yay, hi. Hello, (laughs) thank you for being here. It's so good to be here. It's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I get to talk about my favorite subject with one of my favorite people. That's pretty cool. Yes, and I'm really excited to talk about it too. And honestly, this was one of those topics when we did a survey and distributed it out to everyone through our online portals. Everyone wants to learn more about mindfulness meditation. Oh, cool. And I think because it is a buzzword, but it also is something that is desirable to learn. Having you here to talk about mindfulness meditation really is a treat. So I would love for you to expand more about your experience in this field. Okay. Well, you mentioned that I'm in the interdisciplinary social psychology program. And my first year of grad school was shocking. I am a non-traditional student in that I started grad school when I was 44. I had left Minnesota for the first time. You know, I was born and raised there, came out to Nevada, which I love. And but that first year, yeah, it was rigorous. It was hard. All of my good habits kind of out the window with mm-hmm. the stress of grad school, which really shakes you up. And I was working at the Sanford Center and I met a colleague, her name is Emily, shout out to Emily, um, who had just taken the eight-week MBSR course. And Heather Haslam, shout out to Heather, um, had uh, taken it just before Emily. And so when I was talking to Emily about my stresses, she said, maybe you should try this. And I was like, okay. And literally she had sent me the link for the eight-week MBSR course And within 11 minutes, I had signed up. I was like, (laughs) I will try anything. And, and I had dabbled with different things previously, you know, some books, some teachers, but I hadn't had like my own practice or a regular practice. And then I took the eight week course and it definitely helped. It didn't take away my stress, but it helped me relate to my stress differently. So that's kind of the thing, you know, we, and you had mentioned very, very smartly, you know, it is a buzzword. We're seeing it on magazines. People are talking about it and productivity and this and that, and and we can get into the details later, but it didn't change the stress level that I had. It just 
helped me relate to it differently. And when I graduated with my master's, which was in route, I gave myself the gift of a retreat for the first time. So I did my first silent retreat. And after that, I was looking into a, a program to kind of bring my interest in death and dying and mindfulness together. And that program didn't go. And so my teacher, Colleen, shout out to Colleen Kamenish. Um, <laughs> All the shout outs. Shouting out to everybody. Um, she had said, well, what about becoming, you know, an MBSR instructor? And I was like, okay. So concurrently, of course, you know, like why not while I'm doing um, my PhD, I became a qualified MBSR instructor, which is a couple year process and Mm -hmm. very in-depth work. And through that, it's kind of just developed and enhanced everything that I'm doing. I don't even know what the original question was, but it was about your experience. I mean, no, you laid it all around right there. And I, it's funny too, because you got into mindfulness in that class because you were feeling stressed from grad school and then you fell in love with it and decided to take it on, on top of grad school. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it it is enhancing because my dissertation is definitely incorporating what I've learned about mindfulness and the workshops that I have taught um, are bringing together mindfulness and how we process grief. So it is really an idea of, you know, kind of bringing those things together. Mm-hmm. So really, it worked out beautifully then. Oh, phenomenally. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love how you say too, how it didn't take the stress away, but it helped you relate with it better. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when people think of meditation, they think everything, all my problems are going to go away. Yes. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to have a clear head, you know, yeah. enter this different state. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of times that doesn't happen for the average person, right? Well, absolutely. And I think that that's why people will stop meditating because mm-hmm. it's not, my mind's not clear my mind is too busy. I can't, um, I can't do that. And so that's the misnomer of it, right? I mean, it it can be a byproduct where we get a little bit more space in the chatter of our mind. Um, but it really isn't the goal of, Mm -hmm. of my mindfulness and meditation. And I just have to add in there too, the way that I met Teresa was we both work at the Sanford center, but I really came up to you because of the MBSR class that was coming up at UNR. So we had never really talked before that. And then Heather, another shout out to Heather, (laughs) (laughs) bringing things together. I saw that and you were co-leading that, I think your first class. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible. And it was the same thing. I mean, five minutes of talking to you, I signed up for the class. (laughs) <laughs> and here we are today. So, <laughs> yes, I love it. And MBSR, the mindfulness-based stress reduction, just a little background on that for people who aren't familiar with it. John Kabat-Zinn is kind of the creator of it. And he was working for a hospital and noticed people were falling in the cracks and said, what if we tried being in the body and using mindfulness techniques and taking out the references to Buddhism and things like that, but just using those techniques. And he started a robust research on it. And it has been shown to support people with chronic pain in living with stress, all sorts of things. And there's tons of research on it, but he's one of the people who brought it into the United States. But it's been around for a long time. And so the course is basically set up 
where you meet for eight weeks for two and a half hours each week. And then there's a one full day silent retreat to have that full immersion and there's homework and um, you can do your homework or not do your homework. And either way you get something to work with. 100%. I think it's a lifelong learner in me where I loved the homework aspect because it held me accountable and it was great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You knew you were going to have to respond to, to that, but it does Mm -hmm. help then create that habit. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So on the same topic too, how would you define mindfulness meditation in itself? So when you say mindfulness, I think of it as something we can do like at any point in our day or in our Mm -hmm. life. And then meditation to me is more of the formal practice when we're sitting, I'm going to meditate right now. And mindful meditation, like putting that all together is bringing awareness to your current situation with non-judgment. I like to add in humor if you can, but just paying attention to what's happening and the anchors that are used are the body, because the body is always in the present moment, and the breath, because you can never be in a future breath or in a past breath. Sometimes you use sound for the same reason. So, so you're really just getting familiar with what's happening right now in the present moment. And mm-hmm. the key is that phrase, the non-judgmental, you know, so non-judgmental awareness of what's happening in the present moment, because you'll notice you know, as soon as you try to quiet the mind, judging comes up quickly. I'm not doing this right. My mind's too busy. What's wrong with me? I can't sit still. What you do in the invitation then is to say, okay, so I'm, I'm antsy. What does antsy feel like in the body? Okay. So there's an agitation. There's a churn. And then you start trying to get really curious about what your experience is in the moment. So mm-hmm. I would say my definition is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, non-judgmentally. And that's probably paraphrasing many of the definitions out there, but it is that. I, I, I want to just always stress the non-judgment part. And I try to mm-hmm. add some humor to mine because, you know, my mind will be off and wandering. And then as soon as I realize that my mind's wandered and I bring it back to my breath or my body, um, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, welcome home. <laughs> because <laughs> Just I'm like, there you are. Oh, you're back. <laughs> your attention, you're back. And if you can do it that way and with kindness towards yourself, you start building kind of that friendliness towards your own experiences, which then takes you off of the cushion. You know, so they say on the cushion, you can meditate wherever. You don't have to be in a certain position looking all blissed out like they show pictures on the top mm-hmm. of a mountain. Um, but really, <laughs> no, really, that looks I mean, nice. I mean, <laughs> oh, and you can, I'm sure, I'm sure meditating at the top of the mountain would be glorious. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I think people get into their heads like, oh, I can't sit in a pretzel form or I can't crisscross applesauce. And And it's like, well, no, you can sit in a chair, you can stand, you can walk, you can lay Mm -hmm. down. And so there's a lot of ways to to be in a practice. So essentially what you're saying too, it's not confined to this one thing that we may stigmatize Mm -hmm. meditation to be. Like it really can look in all different formats. And I've heard from you and other teachers too, that meditation, it really is your day-to-day life. Like your life is a practice of meditation, right? 
Yes. So when we're practicing formally, right, that's yeah. where we're training the brain. So kind of like training a puppy where, you know, we take that, you know, one minute, five, 10, 20, 45 minutes, however long you're, you're practicing. But then the rest of the time, the other 23 and a half hours in your day, that's where the real practice comes in. Mm. So when you, when you sit and you're, you're formally practicing on bringing kindness to yourself, on bringing some non-judgmental awareness to a situation, when you're out and about and you do something like trip and fall on campus, which I have done. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, and then there's like, you can like start feeling like, oh, here's that flush of embarrassment or mm-hmm. did I hurt myself? Rather than being like, oh, you're an idiot. And why can't you walk? And what's wrong with you? You, you go like, oh yeah, you were really distracted and you were really in a hurry. And so that practice when we're, when we're meditating can translate into a kinder experience of yourself in your mm-hmm. everyday life, <laughs> falling, making a mistake. You know, there's countless times where we might want to judge ourselves and we judge ourselves yeah. harshly. And so this is a way to work with that. So where do you think that implicit judgment comes from? I mean, why do we just immediately judge ourselves as opposed to saying, oh, this is what's happening? <laughs> that That is such a great question. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a really smart answer to it, maybe research-based and everything. But for me, I think that we're kind of taught that. We're almost taught to, you know, not get a big head and we're taught to be, you know, modest or humble or whatever messages that we're getting. And then the judgment comes in with our comparison. We're kind of conditioned to compare ourselves. And so there's like upward comparisons, downward comparisons, and we might look and think, oh, I don't measure up right? Like, oh, I'm not as good, as smart, as pretty, as skinny, whatever, as this person. Mm -hmm. And then we judge ourselves in light of that rather than being in my body, in my space and, and happy with who I am as a person. It can be a big ask. There's childhood upbringing messages Mm -hmm. that you got, how you fit in, how you didn't fit in, what a person said to you in freshman year that just sticks with you. Yeah. That you still remember. I mean, I remember one from kindergarten where guy had a mustache because I can grow a mustache and <laughs> not <laughs> and to toot my own horn, but you know, I remember this kid telling me, you know, Oh my gosh, you have a mustache. And I went home to my mom and she was like, well, you tell him at least you can grow one. And, you know, as like a little girl, that's the last thing you want to hear. You want someone to say, no, you don't have one. Right, right. Like, it's just crazy. Like the, those things. mustache growing capabilities, yeah. Kara. Embrace it. See, I've embraced the experience now, but, you know, it's a little me didn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were in high school and it, we had to do these little like warm up things. Uh, so we would rub each other's shoulders at choir and whatever. Oh, interesting. And, um, yeah. And no, it wasn't tawdry at all. It was like, everyone's in a row, you know, just to loosen up, you know, mm-hmm. and a person, I won't shout that person out. Um, you know who you are. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> they probably don't, they probably forgot about it and I'm holding on to it 30 some odd years later, <laughs> but they said, you have a mighty thick neck for a female. Oh my gosh. And I am sure there have been countless, countless delightful, wonderful compliments that I've received over the years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, much like your but example, that's what sticks. 
Yeah. And there is a, I think it was Rick Hansen. He's a, a PhD, but he has a book called the Buddha brain, but he talks about um, that our minds evolutionarily are programmed to stick to the bad. So it's like Velcro for bad and Teflon for good, because when we were evolving, if there was a tiger or if there was a dangerous plant, we needed to remember that because it Mm -hmm. was our very survival. So that's built into our little, our great brains. And then we hold on to it, right? Because we're like, oh, danger. What's, what's danger? What's bad? What do I need to avoid? And, and so by practicing then mindfulness and mindful awareness, we can start changing that pattern. We can, we can have a little pause and if someone says something negative, we might be able to say, is this true? Is this true? And I need to take some action on it. Or is this true? I need to correct it. Or if there's a compliment, we can actually try to like, let it in and be with it and, you know, and start going like, yeah, thank you. Instead of mm-hmm. what, what we do and, oh, well this, oh no, this is so old or, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, well, I mean, it's so old and you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So or like, oh no, my friend looks way better in it. Yes. Or whatever yes. it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like who wore it better? I mean, we even put it in mm-hmm. magazines. That, Jeez, that, that, I mean, that topic alone could be a whole nother episode. Honestly, <laughs> Yeah. About judgment and how, how to develop that because mm-hmm. often people, when we even talk, um, Kristen Neff is another author and teacher who has a great body of work on self-compassion. And a lot of times we dismiss self-compassion as being fluffy or kind of soft. And, you know, we don't look at what that can do for us. We're like, well, if I'm not hard on myself, I'll never get anything done. And if I'm not hard on myself, you know, who will be kind of thing. But if we really listen to ourselves and really say, and start getting to know that little voice in our head, which you do with meditation, you can actually start going, I talk to a friend like this. Would I talk to a stranger like this? Why am I talking to myself like this? And, mm-hmm. you know, let that, let, let that kind of yeah. resonate in itself. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm thinking in terms of the lay person listening to this, who's probably never done meditation or if they've done mm-hmm. it for maybe two minutes. And like you said, they go, Oh, I can't sit still. This isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything that you talk about the process with meditation it, it just sounds like a lengthy process, right? For someone that's not used to questioning their thoughts and oh, going sure. through that whole cycle, I guess you could say. So I'm curious, yeah. you know, even talking about your personal experience, what's the breakdown for you or what is that process that you slowly evolved into? For me personally, I do well in a class environment. So I am glad that I took the MBSR eight-week class and they are all over the place. They're all over the world. Um, Mm -hmm. There are teachers and, and, and you can search for in your area for a class. There's online MBSR courses. If if you like that kind of structured process, I have twin sister, Kelly, shout out Kelly. Um, (laughs) This is going to be the shout out episode. (laughs) Sorry if you didn't make it. (laughs) Yeah, right. No. Yeah. I I always like to give people credit, but my sister, she used an app called Headspace with great, Mm, you know, consistency and results. And, and, and she didn't take a formal class and and that led her through, they kind of have it. It's a bit gamified where, you know, you get your little dots Mm -hmm. and encouragement to meditate each day. 
You can pick different courses. Um, and that's a, a paid for app. And that has also worked for my friend, Randy. And, um, <laughs> okay. You can do another shout out. I'll allow it. <laughs> and, you know, cut any shout out that you want. It'll just be like shout. And you'll be like, oh, enough of the shout outs, Teresa. Or anyway, but, yeah. And he just recently posted that he had done a hundred straight days using Headspace. And so, oh, wow. yeah, which is huge because the benefits come with consistency and with, mm-hmm. you know, kind of keep showing up for yourself. A lot of times uh, meditation will be compared to going to the gym. And that, you know, you can't just go on, you know, the treadmill one day and be like, okay, I'm fit or, you know, lift one weight. And so meditation, they say, is like the gym for your mind because you're training, you're training your mind to come back to the present moment. You're training your mind to practice non-judgment, all Mm -hmm. of these things, which um, over time really do develop. There's a book called Altered Traits and they go through a really detailed account of research and they start with people and they do fMRIs and brain scans for people mm. who haven't meditated, have meditated a little bit, all the way up to very extensive meditators like monks. So that's really cool because there's actual brain changes that can occur with meditation. So that's an exciting part. And I'm getting a little off topic because if you've never meditated before and you're curious about it, there's a wide range of possibilities. As I was starting to say, there's apps, there's free apps, there's, it's a called insight timer mm-hmm. and there's a paid function, but also um, a free, very robust free option. 10% happier is a book by Dan Harris. He has a podcast by the same name and he also has an app by the same name. So if you're curious, podcasts like yours, Kara, and then if you want to delve deeper, you know, start listening to Dan Harris's podcast. He talks about meditation and kind of the pitfalls. He has a book, 10% Happier, which leads you through his journey to finding meditation. Then he followed it up with a book called Meditations for Fidgety Skeptics. And I need so, to read that. <laughs> right? Yeah, I have it on, I have it on, my, on my Kindle, but I haven't gotten to it yet you know, depending on how you learn and what level you want to go to. MBSR is a very nice research-based, evidence-based program that you can't go wrong with. It's a really good entry point. It's a really good way to learn about yourself through this Mm -hmm. process in community. But if you want to explore it on your own, tons of apps and, and really impactful that way as well. And like you said, MBSR has an online version now too. Yes. Maybe they've had it for a while and I just didn't know about it. But for me, I love a class structure. Yeah. I think I just like feeling the energy of other people being interested in the same topic. Yes. And I loved the, your class. It was incredible. It was incredible. It opened my eyes to so many things. And like you said, when I first entered the class, you know, I thought, oh, you know, my life's going to change. My stress is going to go away. Meditation, you know. I'm going to be able to sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sleep won't be an issue. I'll be enlightened, you know, all the things that come with it. And by the end of the class, obviously none of those things happen. But like you said, just I was able to better check in with myself and really tune in to my needs. Yeah. Like I never have before. Yeah. And also check out the free classes that I'm offering too. You know, yes. those, are, those are, those are free, you know, come meditate, mm-hmm. with me, check it out. And a one person in our group, a person who had found us, 
uh, actually said and shared that her blood pressure had lowered. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And, and it had been like going towards dangerously high. And um, so that was really cool. Like, so there are, wow. there can be specific measurable results. The ideal mm-hmm. is to not go in it like, okay, well, if this doesn't happen, then I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Like, especially now we kind of operate from neck up my body just carries my head around (laughs) right to do various things, but, and we are queen headlines that are agitating and constant stream and constant availability, 24, seven email, 24, seven news cycle, we can get, you know, really up in our heads. And so, you know, we can then start worrying about the future and that can cause a lot of anxiety or we can ruminate and like wish things were different, like in the past and that that can cause depression. And so we're, you know, we're kind of like walking around in the world like this and what mindfulness and meditation does. And you had said it really nicely. It's like, you were able to check in with your body. You know, you're able to then like connect the the body and the mind together through this process. And Mm -hmm. that can be really beneficial because like I said, you know, with what's coming at us and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of upset. There's a lot of trauma. And again, meditation doesn't take that away, but it helps us better meet it by knowing when like, okay, I'm feeling agitated. It's time to turn off social media or, Mm -hmm. oh, I've been stuck in a Netflix loop. Oh, I need to move my body, you know, because (laughs) otherwise we can just go into numbing behaviors without Mm -hmm. really knowing what supports our health and, and well-being, which I know this whole podcast is about like whole person wellness and exactly. Yeah. But you can have whole person wellness once you know what your whole person wants and needs. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. It's exactly it. I mean, again, it's checking in and especially people who are working from home. And I think about, you know, work ergonomics and how that looks now in this new setting although people want to attain different levels of mindfulness and meditation, they feel so trapped in having to get all their emails checked and doing more work because there's somewhat of a higher level of productivity being Mm -hmm. at home. Yeah. You're less distracted. And so it seems like there is this subconscious expectation for more work to be done. So I'm curious for people in those situations too, how can they incorporate meditation or even just mindful moments so that they can become probably more productive, right? And just feel better during the day. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, yeah, there's so your, your question brings up so many, it's like my mind's all over the place. That's a good thing. So first of all, yes, we are at home and there's this idea of, we, we know you're home. So freaking answer your email. So there's like, exactly. a, there's a, there's a kind of an urgency there, but with that being home, that can be isolating. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of bad for social people. Some people are like, Oh, I'm born for this. This is great. And, you know, and some people are really like, I miss being with my family or I live alone and this is really mm-hmm. painful. And so when you bring mindfulness into it, you can start to be with the feelings. And like I had mentioned, like when our our minds start racing forward into like the fear zone and what's going to happen there. So there's a lot of fear. And so instead of being swept away by the fear, because our minds are great at imagining, right? Like we can just put, 
you know, a worst case scenario mm-hmm. together in like a hot second, then you notice. So with mindfulness and, and with practice, you start noticing like, oh, I'm feeling that way. And you might even notice that first response in your body. Like my heart's beating faster. My throat's clenching. My stomach's doing flips. And then you can be like, oh, okay. So what is this? Okay. So I'm feeling fear. And then you start bringing yourself back to the present moment. And most of the time, the present moment, we're mostly okay. Barring extreme situations, we're actually okay in this moment. And John Kabat-Zinn will say, as long as you're breathing, there's more right with you than wrong with you. Oh, that's um, right. That's such yeah. a good quote. And I, I love that quote because mm-hmm. when we come back to our bodies and we come back to our general okayness, we can kind of start calming, maybe taking a couple deep intentional breaths and realize that a lot of this is made up and in my head and we don't know. And uncertainty is hard too. But if we can also be like, yeah, I don't know. And not knowing is uncomfortable. And then that's kind of that compassion and that kindness back to ourselves. Oh, and I put my hand on my heart. It might seem cheesy to people, but it releases oxytocin, like the cuddle hormone for yourself. So Mm -hmm. if you are feeling anxious, if you are feeling overwhelmed, like a hand on the heart or, um, you know, the, the stomach, or even sometimes people will put a hand on their face and it's calming. I love that you added that in too. And the fact that you're adding in the evidence-based aspect of it, the science behind it, because then you have people too, that think of meditation or mindfulness as this thing that only happens in other countries or it's woo woo quote unquote. Yeah. But there's actual research. Yeah, exactly. To support it. And I actually hugged myself this morning. Yeah. (laughs) Gave myself a tight squeeze and it just felt good. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Because we are mammals, right? And we Mm -hmm. crave, we crave touch. And if you are alone or feeling alone, that self-soothing is really powerful and it's a powerful practice. And there is a lot of evidence, which is very thrilling because it has been seen as hippy dippy or hokey or a religious thing. And although it has its, it has its roots and we need to acknowledge and honor the roots that it came from, any religion can practice this. You don't have to be Buddhist. They, no one's asking you to become a Buddhist. It, it can actually enhance whatever, if you are a person of faith. Um, I had a woman in one of my classes, very strong Christian, who said praying is talking to God for her and meditation is listening. Mm. And so, you know, it can, it can be used because every religious tradition, spiritual practice has an element of being still and being quiet. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, it says, be still and know. And so you can know what, I don't know, we can name it whatever we want, but it is being still so that we can hear that inner wisdom so that we can hear what our body wants and needs, not what society tells us our body wants and needs, not what you know, my friend thinks that I should do with my body or um, my time, finding that discernment, that ability to know for yourself. Mm -hmm. The knowing, just the knowing in general. Yeah. Because it leads into so many things, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we're getting messages about this diet and that diet and And it's like, well, but what does my body really need? Some people will say, well, if I give my body what it, you know, what it's asking for, I'll just eat potato chips and chocolate. And it's like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. no, because if you really, really, really listen, that's not what your body is asking for. Sometimes, sometimes maybe sure. Um, But it's, you won't sustain yourself on that 
if you are really listening to your, to your body, the body, the mind and spirit are all very intelligent. There's so much wisdom there. If we just listen Mm-hmm. And in terms of food too, actually this morning, it was mid morning. I won't say morning to make myself look bad, but you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of want a snack, but I don't want anything too heavy. I have some dark chocolate and there's nothing wrong with dark chocolate in the morning. I will say that right now, but I had a couple strawberries and I started to reach for it. And then automatically I was like, wait, I don't even want this right now. And I just put it back. But usually in the past, it would be me just grabbing something mindlessly, mm-hmm. eating it feeling a little bit weird because I probably wasn't too hungry. Mm-hmm. So I just reflect. We're not on even that noticing as- that you felt weird yeah. except for that you didn't sleep well the next night, or maybe there was like a sugar crash where all of a sudden you're so tired in the afternoon. You're like, what's wrong with me? Oh, okay, I got to drink more coffee. And it becomes this loop. And also we are being bombarded by messages that seem louder than our internal wisdom. And that's why when we practice, when we practice formal meditation, which is, you know, the sitting for the one minute to however long, and it's, I am choosing to do this in a specific way versus mindfulness throughout your day, which you can invite um, with your everyday tasks. You could be mindful while brushing your teeth. You could be mindful while washing your hands um, and just really feel the the soap and water. My mind will actually even go then to like, holy crap, I have running water and it's warm. And how, you know, there's so many people in the world that don't have access to clean running water. And so then when I'm really mindful and I'm really paying attention to like how that feels and I'm not creating it, but gratitude starts to bubble up, right? Mm, or my favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so it, like it. it starts naturally emerging, emerging without forcing it. And I love that you gave that example about the chocolate because like you said, there's nothing wrong with chocolate. You can have chocolate any time of the day. I would say, you know, have it for breakfast if that's really what's called for, but you didn't either have it or not have it because of a thought. Yes. The shoulds. Yes. Yes. And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, I've noticed a rebellious side with me, especially with food and drink and, you know, where it's like, you can't tell me what to do and yeah, um, to yourself. And so right? like, if, yeah, exactly. And if I've already said, I'm going to have chocolate, if I'm not checking in, I would have been like, well, do I even really want chocolate? It's like, well, can't tell, you know, I can't even tell myself what to do in that point, you know, mm-hmm. but when you pause and you can reflect and then you can say, Oh yeah, that's not really what I want right now. It's amazing. It is amazing. And I, again, just reflecting on it now, I had no idea that I did it. It just started to happen. Mm-hmm. So really exciting because finally a neural new neural pathway has developed. Yeah. waiting for it. Well, um, in this moment, <laughs> in this moment, I wanted to share something with you too, and kind of ask you if this is common or if this is sometimes how things go too. I noticed for myself when I took MBSR, you know, you really are befriending yourself. You're kind of questioning those thoughts, but with curiosity. And so I went through the habit of really doing that as much as you can remember to, right? Cause you know, you're just naturally not going to do with everything that you're thinking. And then I felt like with a lot of things, it just became a habit. I no longer needed to question it. Mm. I just was starting to look at things from a different perspective. Mm. Would you say that that's somewhat of a common trajectory or outcome of doing meditation? 
I think that it can be an organic byproduct of it, right? Because if you are on autopilot for most areas in your life, which most of us are, and then you stop to investigate it and you bring that quality of non-judgment and kindness and maybe some humor to the situation, you can be like, oh, yeah, there I go again. And then you create a little bit of a space. And so rather than a knee jerk reaction that you might have to a situation, you have a bit of a space where you can choose something different. Like, you you know, you paused long enough in your reach for the chocolate that you were able to go, yeah, I don't, I don't really want this right now without judgment, without beating yourself up or like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I shouldn't have this at whatever time of the day it is. It was like, do I really want this? But we don't often pause long enough to taste or be with the moment as it is. In the past, my own little eating mindful moment was I was not able to have potato chips in my house. And I, I would say that I'm like, oh, I can't have potato chips in my house because they, you know, they'll be gone. And I can't and, trust it. Can't I trust can't myself. Trust, I can't trust myself. I can't yeah. trust. Or they would constantly kind of talk to me. Like I could be doing something. I'd be like, oh, there's potato chips. There's potato <laughs> chips. There's potato chips. Until like I had to eat them until they were gone. So they were quiet. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when I started really working with that, the first time a bag of potato chips went stale in my house was like a freaking minor miracle. It was like, oh my gosh, like the hold on me, you know, so we can be in the tight hold of our habit patterns. And then when we start creating, even if it's a little space, you know, it can start kind of unwinding or it can start shifting where you can make other choices. And I'm not saying potato chips are bad. I freaking love potato chips, mm-hmm. but, you know, me too. Um, and I know that when I eat them mindfully, a handful is enough. I don't need the whole bag. That's a great story because it's an amazing aha. something that really relates back to not trusting yourself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and that is, you know, with, with meditation that does begin to develop trust, you know, even if it's only in the trust that you've said, oh, I'm going to create a habit and I'm going to sit for one minute a day, mm-hmm. you know, you just start showing up for yourself. So that could be a good start for people is really just sitting for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Guided or unguided. Yeah. And, and a minute really without devices can feel real long. I don't know if you've seen the latest research. I think it shows that our attention span as humans is down to eight seconds, which I believe is shorter than a goldfish. Um, (laughs) And it has reduced, I think it from 11 seconds down to eight. I don't know, but it's Mm -hmm. been dropping. And that is because of that quick stimulus. You know, sometimes, you know, when I'm doing a talk or something, I'll time it out like 30 seconds or a minute and people are like, oh my God, like, oh, that was so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can increase it. And I, and I think research shows that through changes in the brain, it's 20 minutes, you know, that you are dedicating a day to sitting. But to start the habit, I say, if something gets you to sit and pause and be with yourself as you are for one minute, that's a huge gift you can give yourself. And then if you're sitting and it feels good to go longer, like start increasing that insight timer. You can put in your time limit you can say, you know, five minutes or under or 10 minutes and over and things like that. I think for headspace, 
his set point is 10 minutes, um, but he might even have shorter ones. But the point is, is that out of a 24 hour day, we can have like this checklist of things that we should do, right? Like I should exercise and I should eat right. And I should meditate. And then it becomes like kind of this thing. But if, if you can offer that moment of stillness without being distracted by your phone or, you know, music or something, you know, if you can sit without the distractions, it's a gift you give yourself. And it's like hanging out with a friend. You know, we hardly give ourselves a minute of our own time in the 24 hour period. And it's like, well, if a friend asked me to, you know, hang out with them for five minutes, I'd probably be able to do it. You can manage, right? (laughs) And and I'd find the time. It isn't about beating yourself up and trying to get somewhere. It's really just about like, hey, I'm in this container and I'm experiencing life. Okay. What is my mind doing when I'm not paying attention? And then you start paying attention and you can see that you have a lot of repetitive thoughts. Like my gas gauge starts getting low and I'm like, oh, I got to get gas. 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 And at about the 50th time, if I can pause and go, is that useful? (laughs) I've already covered it. (laughs) Is is it useful? Probably not. So, you know, but we can do that with any of our thoughts, right? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like we can have these, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's like, well, is that useful? And just that question that's a bell of awareness too. That's, that's a moment of mindfulness and without judgment, Mm -hmm. not you dummy. Why are you saying this again? It's, is this useful? And then going like, yeah, yes, no, maybe so. And you get to answer that. So essentially there are no dumb answers or questions within your brain. You can just say, no, no, but, but I, I do like the idea of useful, not useful, supportive, not supportive. Because when we get into a habit loop that is not supportive, it can cause havoc in our Mm -hmm. worlds. And I'm thinking of things like jealousy or anxiety or, you know, things that are human emotions. So we're not saying don't ever have them, but when we get stuck and then it's like every lens I look through is like someone's out to get me, then that's not useful for me to have the quality and kind of life that I want to have. I notice for myself, one of the reoccurring thoughts I have is I'm this person that should be all knowing. <laughs> you know, I should You're just not? know everything. I write. I thought you did. Why are we friends? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Why am I even doing a podcast? I have no idea. And I have to constantly remind myself, you know, it's okay that you don't know that, but that's of course with the self-compassion that mm-hmm. I've read with Kristen Neff too, that was helpful, which we are definitely, if you were open to it, doing a podcast about that. Cause that's I would love to, you yeah. know, a whole nother ball game. But again, I just would constantly have thoughts. If I made a mistake, it was like, you should know that. Why did you do that? Yeah. You know, you dummy, like all those other thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. When you ask yourself, wait, is it useful that I'm bashing myself right now? Cause I don't feel very good. It doesn't feel very useful. You know, I'm not really comforting myself right now. Yeah. And because then what happens if you're bagging on yourself and then it doesn't feel good, what do you turn to, to feel better? Any one of our numbing um, Mm -hmm. opportunities, right? You know, it's like, oh, I, well, I feel dumb because I don't know what I'm doing with my dissertation or with stats or whatever. And it's like, oh, well then what, what do I know how to do really well? 
Mm-hmm. You can binge watch some dumb TV show. I know how to do that yeah. super well. Yeah. I, you know, the judgment comes later when I wake up out of my trance <laughs> Netflix. But, you know, but All the potato <laughs> chips gone. Right? Just crumbs, just crumbs everywhere. <laughs> just what happened? Yeah. And so, but when we can notice, when we can say like, Ooh, oh, you are being hard on yourself. And it's like, yeah, you know, maybe there's a an accountability piece. I'm not a parent, but like a good parent, you don't yeah. feed them sugar, you know, from morning till night and expect that there's going to be a peaceful bedtime. Yeah. So if we're looking at our own physical bodies and we are waking up from a trance of potato chips and Netflix and we don't feel good, mm-hmm. it's not helpful to then beat ourselves up. But what is helpful is to recognize, oh, I got, I forgot to remember that that pattern makes me feel sick to my stomach and makes me feel like I wasn't productive because I wasn't productive. Then you can make a different choice. But if you then just beat yourself up, well, then you're going to be like, well, I don't like this train of thought. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking this when I was doing something else. It's interrupting the habit loop. But with compassion also comes responsibility because when you're aware of certain things and you're aware of how your body feels after, you know, sitting around all day or not moving or eating fast food, whatever it is for you, it's not about being judgmental, but it's like, oh, like a real assessment and going like, does this feel good in my body? How is my sleep if I have caffeine after five o'clock? And then you can go, oh, that that was a, that was a rough one. Okay, maybe I'll back it up. You know, how's my sleep after having caffeine at three? Oh, you know, and like back, back, back. And you can you can be your own experiment. But if you're not paying attention, you can't make those choices. I feel like so much information has been shared, so much useful information that people can take away from this. And coming from a health coach standpoint you know, I never want people to feel overwhelmed. So if you are listening to this and you think, oh my gosh, okay, I said a lot, I should probably meditate. I need to do this every single day. Remembering everything that Teresa is saying, really take a step back, starting really, really small. Again, I love the analogy of exercise because I'm not going to jump into the gym when it's been six months (laughs) and expect to feel good after a workout that I did beforehand. Cause it's not like you have to slowly build it up And you don't want it to feel like this extra chore. Yeah. It's an opportunity, but, and if you don't even want to sit for a minute, Mm -hmm. invite yourself to a mindful moment in the day, pick something, brushing your teeth, washing your hands, washing the dishes, you know, like, I mean, washing the dishes can flood me with gratitude because I have food to cook and where did the food come from? And, you know, the conversation that was had over dinner, all of those things. Yeah. I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed or like there's a a set path that you have to do in order to get it right. You know, choose a mindful moment. And that could be when you're done with work, entering and leaving your home, that could be a mindful moment. It is X amount of time, work is done, and maybe just pausing taking a breath before you walk out of your office or before you walk into another room to do something else. And just kind of taking that, that opportunity to just pause and breathe a meditation that I have on my website. It's a two minute finding your feet. You can always check in with your body and Mm -hmm. and you'll be in the present moment. 
even going to the bathroom because yes. I have been guilty of this. And I'm sure many of you are too, bringing your phone to the bathroom. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You what know? did we do? We read shampoo bottles before we had phones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's so many pieces to that too. The sanitary piece of it. I mean, but being present with just that alone, yes. I mean, that's yeah. a start. Yeah. Your, your systems of elimination. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that is true. There was, I can't remember who said it, but someone did say, do yourself a favor and not bring your phone because we get tempted to then maybe sit longer than we need to, which yeah. can cause its own problems in the and atrophy. In the, and yeah. 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 <laughs> Hemorrhoids. Yeah. I don't, I don't, like there's stuff, there's stuff. That Just don't happen. bring your phone in if you're going to take anything away. <laughs> and I love, Kara, I love that you're like, okay, you know, before we give you any more information, we're just off and running on the next <laughs> topic, which is bathroom talk. Um, <laughs> bathroom talk with Karen. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I do, I do encourage anyone to explore this for themselves. You know, it's mm. not just because research says it, and it's not because it's a buzzword, but you know, maybe just noticing what a minute or more of silence could do to support you in your life. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I agree with that 100%. Before we close out here, do you have anything you're working on you want people to know about? I would direct people to my website. Your website, TeresaBscore.com. So it's T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-S-K-A-A-R. I feel like not the spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> Dot com. Thank you. <laughs> Um, And that's really where you can find all of the different resources and activities that Teresa participates in, as well as leads. And she is also a coach. So if you are someone that likes the one-on-one support, I know for myself, I like that style too. Please utilize her as a resource. She is awesome. I mean, as you could hear today. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is just so much fun. I'm I'm delighted for you as you embark on this. And I can't wait to... Um, subscribe to your podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here today. This was just amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. You can find more content, resources, etc. with Teresa if you visit her website at TeresaBscore.com. That's spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A-B-S-K-A-A-R.com. Thank you so much for listening today, and I invite you to subscribe and share the Tuning In From Within podcast show with friends and family, and feel free to follow my Instagram page at Tuning In From Within, as well as checking out our website, tuninginfromwithin.com, where you can find relevant articles, other podcast episodes, and so much more.